It is the fourth week of the new year, 2023. It's still January, but this morning I saw the first signs of spring because the little crocuses were emerging from the ground. Nice little purple flower. So there is hope. Welcome to the break. This episode and everything I do is made possible thanks to my wonderful patrons. And I want to welcome a number of new members to the Patreon community. Um, Dan, welcome. Robert is also a new patron. Lance is joining the community. CT, Wesley, and Laura McMillian, all new members of my Patreon community. Uh, I thank you so much for your support and for hopefully your future input in what I do because uh, the patrons, of course, are also automatically linked to uh, my Discord server and that is where a lot of the community... Things are happening where we can exchange ideas and uh, it's where I get a lot of my input and feedback. So thank you so much. I also want to uh, mention briefly Thomas and Edward who both have upped their uh, monthly contributions. They were already patrons. If you want to join that community and help me to reach out to so many people all over the globe, um, take a look at patreon.com slash Father Roderick. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Some months go by like that, and other months are, like, really slow and relaxed. And I never know exactly how that is, because, of course, every minute, every second is the same duration. But my experience of time varies over time. And sometimes you're at the end of the year and you look back and you're like, where did the year go? And sometimes you're like, wow, is it still January? <laughs> I thought it was already springtime. Well, that's kind of how I feel this month. Um, and I think the part of the reason why I feel that January is longer is like there's a positive reason for that and a, and a bit of a negative reason. Let's start with the negative. I don't know about you, but I always feel that January and February are kind of bleak it's it's a weird time we when winter starts we always have stuff to look forward to like especially um things like thanksgiving day if you were in north america um we have halloween which of course is for kids but it it does mark the time and then uh advent and of course christmas as the summit of of the winter season and then after Christmas, we, we, we get a little bit more festivities for the beginning of the new year and New Year's Eve. And that's all fun. And then it's over. And there's nothing new. There's no, nothing to look forward to, nothing to help us to, to make it through those dark and oftentimes very cold months. In <laughs> Our friends who live in the other part of the world, like New Zealand and, and, and Australia, of course, they have a totally different experience for them. Right now, it's summertime, or it's almost summer, so it's, the weather is really nice. This is a perfect time of the year, lots of sunshine. We here in <laughs> this part of the, uh, on the globe, uh, it's, it's drab, it's just... It doesn't end, and it, so it feels very long. And then all of a sudden, if you're a Christian and if you're a Catholic, then they, they start Lent. It's like, dude, 
I'm trying to survive the darkness here, and then you start an, a time of penance to make it worse? Like, Lent starts already, I don't know about this year, but oftentimes it starts towards the end of February or beginning of March, and then you still have, like, two very cold months ahead of you. Sometimes April can be very wintry, very cold. I would say, but of course I, I'm not in charge, but I would say just push Lent a little bit further, you know, start Lent towards the end of April and then put Easter, you know, at the beginning of summertime, like in a month of June or something like that. Then you have like a really nice summer vibe and we can have barbecues when it's, when it's Easter. And then Lent, I'm all for Lent, don't get me wrong, but it's just so, it, it's hard to get enthusiastic about a time of penance when the rest of the climate and and the and the it is already lent like january february just label it straight away like we'll start lent right after new year's eve then we'll just label it and then we'll just i don't know but but don't don't make us hope for springtime and then when, when finally the, the flower starts to emerge and it's getting better and then all of a sudden they hit you with like, okay, now let's do 40 days of penance and, and seriousness and fasting and oh, come on, give us a little bit of light. <laughs> of course, this is all, this is all me. It's a personal opinion. This has nothing to do with my job as a priest. Oh, it's just how I feel sometimes. And so, so January and February, it just feels very long. It's like, oh, come on, get it over already. I'm done with winter. Give me some spring. The positive reason that I feel that January is, is a bit, I don't know, feels longer than a normal month is because I actually took two weeks off. And so for the first two weeks of this month, I didn't plan anything. I did do a bit of work. I continued to podcasting, but I didn't beat myself over the head with, oh, I need to do this and that and plan my appointments. And no, I was like, okay, I'm just taking it easy. When I want to read a book, I'm just going to read a book. If I want to go to bed, I go to bed. Nothing, I don't, nothing is compulsory. So what I do, I do it because I want to. And that was really helpful in, in giving me a, a, a totally different experience. Normally in, in January, that's where things start speeding up. Like during the Christmas season, I tend to fall behind on my email and because there's just all the liturgy stuff. And then in January, it's like trying to catch up and I need to write the overview, like the, the annual report. And we've got all sorts of meetings and, and starting to plan for the rest of the year. I did none of that this year. And it was, it was a good experience. And so slowing down also kind of slows down your experience of time. And I've relished those two weeks. And last week, I... I was enthusiastic about starting my work again, which is usually a good sign that it's it's time to get back to work is when you you feel you have energy. And then I think I went over the top with, I tried to do too much. And um, and I, I paid the price for that this, this past week. I just finished recording an episode of The Walk in which I explained that I was so lower energy all of a sudden this week and I couldn't understand why. 
Um, but if by thinking about it, um, I figured it's probably just because I tried to do too much in the third week and now I have to pay the price. So I need to refocus on trying to find a good balance and, and maybe just tone it down a little bit. So, oh well, it's a never-ending journey. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know how, how you experience time, but for me, um, I, I actually like it when time slows down a little bit and it tends to slow down when I slow down. So maybe that is what I, I should do a little bit more. Um, so what are we going to do this week uh, on the podcast? I'm going to talk about a few television shows that I've been catching up on. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, a very cool book that I'm currently reading and a book that I just finished reading. I thought it was going to be good, but uh, not so much. Um, we'll talk about communion in the Catholic liturgy and how that works with the bread and the wine and and COVID and contamination. Is that possible when you drink from the chalice, etc.? We had some questions in the community about that. Um, we'll talk about uh, upcoming technology, about the iPhone, about what Apple may have in store. Um, I'll, I'll talk a bit about what I've been doing in the kitchen. Um, that's going to be old news for those of you that have caught my uh, kitchen stream the other day. Um, I did that on Wednesday, and it was a lot of fun, so... But uh, I also know that a lot of you haven't watched the stream, so we'll, we'll do a recap. And, uh, well, we'll see. We'll do much more, but let's first start with the world of movies and TV shows. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl, and that kid sees dead people, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. Last week I talked about uh, The Last of Us, uh, this new TV show on HBO Max that is uh, based on a very famous video game. And um, I I loved what they did. It's super high quality. I, in my opinion, it's at least the first episode way better than The Walking Dead. And I actually thought The Walking Dead was pretty good. Um but then I didn't finish the episode. It got so emotional and scary. And I was like, oh, okay, that's a little bit too much. And now the second episode was is out. And from the reactions that I got from some of my friends, they said, oh, my gosh, it's another episode where it's so emotional and people die. And it's oh, and I just don't have the courage to watch it. <laughs> Sometimes... It can be a bit too good, and I, I'm not always in for like emotional roller coasters. So instead, I focused on stuff that I know is going to give me a good time, but it's it's a little bit more lighthearted. And uh, uh, one of those shows that I always watch uh, when I just want to be entertained <laughs> is uh, is Star Wars: The Bad Batch. Um, it's a fun series. Um, it's not the. It's not, of course, on the same level as Andor. It doesn't uh, doesn't pretend that it is uh, 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 the similar genre. It's more. It's more animated series, and it's fun. And there's a little bit of a backstory, um, but 
almost every episode, at least for this second season, it's a bit standalone. So I watched this one episode, I think it's the fifth one, and I thought it was going to be super good. Uh, there were some rumors that it was going to be very impactful, and instead, it was story-wise, it was not very good. It was, um, it was an episode where I felt like, okay, there are some cool ideas. Visually, it's, it's interesting. But what were they thinking? Couldn't they just give us a little bit more of a why this happens? And what's the point of all this? And they didn't. And it, so it felt a bit, a bit gratuitous. So I've learned from storytelling that um, you, you can't tell a story in, in, uh, in, in, a, in a way that we are all familiar with. And it's, uh, first of all, I did this, and then this happened, and then I did that. That's usually how we... It's like writing a diary of your day. But those stories are very boring if you haven't been part of those events. What makes a story very strong is if you tie all these different elements together by always saying, therefore, or all of a sudden this happened and so it thwarted my original plan. So you, you, you give always a chain of causality to everything that happens and you just leave out whatever has no causal connection with what preceded or what comes. And so in a lot of the television shows that, that I watch and the ones that I like the most, there is a very strong causal link between every single event and every episode. And so it's, 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 I want to watch what happens next because I know that it will have consequences and it, it ties into what I've already seen. With Star Wars The Bad Batch, there may be a bigger story that they're going to tell and that they haven't revealed yet, or... And that's kind of what I felt with this previous episode. It's a bit like, oh, I've, we've got this cool idea. Um, yeah, we can't always focus on the main story because it, we don't have enough. So let's just do this one episode where it's the monster of the week. Um, a bit like what Star Trek used to do in the original series. You know, it's like none of these episodes are have impact on one another. And it feels a bit stale. And uh, in, in this case, I, I still hope that there was a reason for what they did story-wise. I, I, I don't want to give any spoilers in case you still want to watch it. But it, it was the first episode where I was a bit disappointed. Like last week was also, it was okay. It was okay, but not, it wasn't excellent. And even if they have a bigger story and they want to come back to what they showed in this episode, I still feel like they should hint at that and give us a reason why we watch this. Otherwise, it's just like fluff. It feels inconsequential and filler episodes. And every television show has filler episodes. Remember when Lost was all the rage? And then they ran out of steam because they had the writer strike that went on for months? And then you all of a sudden, instead of getting these amazing cliffhangers, oh my gosh, I can't believe what we've discovered now. And every time they answer a question, there are five new questions. We got these filler episodes where, you like, I remember it's one specifically where it was about the, was it Jack, the main character? And he had tattoos. That, that is, the actor actually has tattoos. And in one episode, they were so out of ideas that they told the backstory of how he got that tattoo. 
And it was so dumb. <laughs> it was really like, seriously? That is doing a whole episode of why his nose is crooked. It, it like it has really no impact, no meaning whatsoever to the overall story. It's just pure filler. And then later on, I read an episode, or I read an interview with, um, uh, Q, was it John Cusack and uh, what's the other guy? Anyway, the two screen runners, uh, two showrunners, and they said, yeah, that episode for us is the worst. That w- that's our shame. <laughs> we, when we think back, we were so out of ideas uh, that we just did that. And I feel it's always a bit... Um, a bit of a pity when when they start doing filler episodes. Uh, I think it's not necessary because there are so many good storytellers. And if you feel like you run out of ideas, get some new writers in there, some new blood, and and think about you know why do we tell this story? What is does it have a message? If not, just skip it. You know, don't do it. <laughs> anyway. Star Trek. I also watched uh, more Star Trek. Uh, as you know, I'm watching Deep Space Nine, but I didn't... There was another... You know, I always noticed that whenever there is a Klingon episode, I stop watching. I, and and the, always, like the next generation, whenever the story would focus on Worf and his kid or some kind of like Klingon tradition that all of a sudden had to be dealt with, I got board is like i don't i don't i'm i don't care about the about the klingons it's just feel always feels a bit the same and uh i like the character of Worf, but only in contrast with the other characters he's good in in team but as soon as an episode focuses on Worf, and i was at the point where deep space nine did an entire episode focused on Worf, i like yeah, but it's not fun if the uh, if the rest of the crew is not somehow also implicated. Worf is great for comic relief because he's so serious and he takes himself so seriously and he talks always in this voice like we Klingons and uh, but so so I I didn't watch any Deep Space Nine. <laughs> I need to get over it and just watch it anyway and continue to because I want to get to the good stuff. But I don't know. Am I the only one? Like, I always have a, a problem with the, with the Klingon stories. So instead, I, I picked up uh, Picard, because Picard, the third and final season of Picard, is going to launch in March, I think. So they're already, like, warming up the audience by showing us trailers, and they, there were some interviews that were posted with, because they're going to bring back almost everyone from the original crew of The Next Generation, to give them a proper send-off, which I think is actually a good idea because um, it, it ended all a bit suddenly with The Next Generation. And they brought back Picard, and then they brought back Seven of Nine, who never was in, in The Next Generation. So they did uh, pay some respects to the other series, just as they brought back... Uh, um, oh, what's her name? Uh <sighs> Come on, why am I blanking out on this name? Uh, uh, Janeway, Janeway, <laughs> golly, they brought Janeway back in in uh, Star Trek Prodigy, 
which is a fun series. Seriously, check it out if you like Star Trek. You will love it. Um, I was a bit disappointed that they still haven't posted the second half of the first season uh, on on my, uh, what is it, uh, Paramount uh, channel. Um, it's already out. Apparently, it's really good. So, uh, but but they never brought back. Well, and they they have there was like a, a a quick cameo in one of, in the first season of Picard with Riker and Troy. But uh, now apparently they're going to bring back everyone for the final season. So that's cool. Uh, why was I saying that? Oh yeah, so I I still have to watch most of season two of Picard, and it's good. I like it. I like it better than the first season. The first season was a bit uh, mixed. Uh, but this one, yeah, I kind of like what they did. It's uh, and I hope that they will do a terrific job with season three. I think they will just go. They, they will pull all the registers. Is that how you say it? They they will they will try to make it epic. So I can't wait to see with that. And I'm glad that it's just three seasons. Just that's enough. And then go on to the next thing. There are some more Star Trek shows in development. I'm not sure if they're all in active development right now, but yeah, I think that they're going places. So anyway, that's what I've been watching. <laughs> Catholics rock! It's that time of the week again where we visit the peculiar bunch, a.k.a. those strange Catholics with their traditions. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? But nothing to worry about. I'm here to answer all your questions, even the ones that you never dare to ask before. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. One of the fun things of doing these shows and these podcasts uh, is, is that I have a lot of different listeners from all sorts of backgrounds, and not everyone is Catholic, um, and 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 that's actually really fun because uh, they they often ask the darnest questions. <laughs> And they ask me about stuff that I've always taken for granted, and I never ask questions about that. But then if you hear uh, uh, how people from a different background look at my traditions and what I'm very familiar with, it often makes me think, yeah, yeah, why do we do that that way? And so and it helps me to explore and to learn myself and hopefully also um, pass it on to you. So one of those discussions was uh, taking place in the in the Patreon community on Discord. We have a, a section for faith questions, and so we let me look it up here, um, and so I can quote some of these posts. There was a question about about communion and about COVID, and um, here it is. It was I think Brian who asked. Can you please explain? Um, oh wait, no. What was the, the initial the initial question? I've always wondered, says Brian, about the unsanitary aspect of communion and all drinking from the same chalice. Please correct me if I'm mistaken, but I'm surprised that this practice still exists after COVID. Is there an option to partake separately from the communal chalice? Am I missing something? And uh, that was a, a cool question. Um, 
Now, Brian is, doesn't have a, a Catholic background, so uh, he, of course, is aware of the fact that uh, Catholics, when they celebrate Mass, there is both the, the bread, the host, we call it the host, and the wine in the chalice, um, uh, which is a fancy word for cup. And, and that harkens back, of course, to the Last Supper, where Jesus says, do this in memory of me. And he, so he broke the bread, and at the end of the meal, he took the chalice. So I always, as a little side note, as a child, I always thought that Jesus did those exactly one after another, right? But if you look carefully, um, it's actually said in the texts of the liturgy, after supper was ended, Jesus took the cup. So there is time between um, the, the bread and the wine. And, uh, uh, and, and this is what Christians have always done on Sundays, where they would come together. And actually, the first time that that happens is when Jesus is still there among them. He has already risen, and he meets the two disciples that are walking away from Jerusalem. They're going to in the direction of Emmaus, and then Jesus joins them. They don't recognize him, and then he talks with them. And then at the end of the day, they invite him to stay with them, and that's where he breaks the bread and... Um, and, and they, they come together for something that reminds them of the Last Supper, and that's when they realize, well, wait a minute, didn't our hearts burn when we did this and when he was among us? And, and, and it's like a prototypical, like, Eucharistic experience that they have. And, and when Jesus says, do this in memory of me, that, that, that's what the church has always done uh, throughout the centuries. And that is the foundation for the practice uh, of Catholics to come together on Sunday and celebrate the Eucharist. Um, but what about the communion? So you have the consecration, which is the part of the prayer that the priest says during Mass. And in the central, the heart of that Eucharistic prayer, which is Eucharistia in, in, in Greek, it means thanksgiving. So it's a prayer of thanksgiving. Um, the core of that is the, the words of Jesus during the Last Supper, this is my body, this is my blood. And Catholics believe that that is not just a metaphor, it's not just a symbolic ritual, but it, it becomes the body and blood of Christ. So Jesus is, is truly present, not just in a symbolic way, because that would depend on, on us, whether we feel it or not, but um, it's a real presence. This is my body. This is my blood. Jesus didn't. He, Jesus in the past used a lot of stories and and metaphors and and um, parables. But in during the Last Supper, he's very literal. And there are other moments where he is, speaks in a very literal way about if you if you don't eat my body and drink my blood, you will not have eternal life in you. And people walk away and they're like, "Dude, seriously, you, you expect us to be cannibals? That's not not like that in the Bible, but it's kind of the same thing." People are scandalized by the physical way in which he talks about it. And it's much later on that the church understood in the practice of those early Christians when they came together to celebrate the memorial of Christ with the, the words of the Last Supper, that, you know what, Jesus actually was already talking about this real reality, the reality of, of the bread and the wine being, or turning into his blood and, and, and into his body. And so there's always been, from the, if you look at the church history and the early church fathers, from the 
earliest centuries of Christianity, you see this very special place of the Eucharist in the life of the church. Later on, also kind of thinking about that, but if if the, if, if the the change of the bread and the wine into the body and blood of Christ is is real, then it doesn't depend on us being there. So it's a permanent presence, and that's how they uh, started to venerate um, the the consecrated bread because sometimes they would keep some reserves to distribute to the people that were sick or to bring it to the people that were unable to join the community. Um, but they would they would keep it in the tabernacle, which is a term that comes back from the or dates back to the to the Old Testament, where the 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 Ark of the Covenant was kept in in the tabernaculum in Latin. It's Latin for tent. So that's that's where the practice in Catholic churches comes from, where you have that little box, almost looks like a safe <laughs> in in the church, where we keep the consecrated bread because we believe that the presence of Christ is independent of our, you know, us giving uh, giving that bread the meaning of the presence of Christ. In in instead, it's it's permanent and we revere it. Um, and so, wh- what about the but what about the communion itself, where you are invited to come forward if you um, are uh, baptized and um, uh, are part of the Catholic community and receive the body and blood. So is that always part of communion? Well, in some countries it is, and in some countries it isn't. In most countries right now, most uh, situations, the Catholics will only receive the body of Christ, so the consecrated host. It has a very practical reason. Of course, it's it's beautiful if you can uh, receive communion in 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 under what we call both species, because uh, you have the the species of bread and wine, and we say under two species because it's not really bread and wine anymore after consecration. It the species uh, look like bread and wine, um, so the the most ideal way of receiving communion would be to receive both the bread and the wine just like the apostles did uh, during the Last Supper. But for practical reasons, that is not always possible. It's easy to distribute the bread because it stays good over time. Uh, It's unleavened bread, so it, it doesn't go bad as long as you keep it, you store it in a dry place. But for wine, of course, it's very different. Wine can go bad, so we never uh, keep wine in the tabernacle. It's forbidden uh, because, of course, it would turn bad, and and uh, that that would be irreverent. Uh, it's meant to be cons- uh, consumed right away. But wine also is much more difficult to distribute to large numbers of people. The earliest communities were very small um but over time of course uh, as christianity started to grow sometimes you would have hundreds of look at saint peter square when pope francis is celebrating mass there there are sometimes more than ten thousand people it's impossible to distribute the wine the consecrated wine uh without serious problems when it comes to the um, uh, the 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 veneration the the how do you say that the um, uh, 
uh, I'm looking for the word eerbeat in, in, in Dutch, uh, the respect, you could say, that is required on the moment of communion. And so since the presence of Christ is 100% in, in, in both the bread and the wine, you, commun- you enter into communion with Christ fully, if only, also if you only uh, um, uh, consume the, the consecrated bread. It's not like, oh, if you take communion in, uh, under this both species, you'll have twice the Jesus. No, Jesus is one. <laughs> if he says, this is my body, this is my blood, the real presence is there. Um, and so it's for practical reasons that the church has mostly, in most countries, abandoned the practice of distributing communion under both species. And uh, it's only the priest and sometimes the uh, assisting priest or the, mm, the con-celebrating priest, uh, priests that will uh, um, have communion both the, in the form of the bread, uh, the consecrated bread and the consecrated wine. And for the rest of the people, they will just receive the host. Um, however, I was very surprised when I visited the United States in the past, uh, a number of years ago, that it was common practice in a lot of parishes to have multiple uh, assistants handing out chalices so that people could drink from it. And it was done, it was organized very well. Uh, the people that helped with the distribution of the consecrated wine uh, did that were often special ministers, so they had been trained and uh, received a special mission to do that. Uh, but of course, as you can imagine, in times of when, for instance, COVID, um, that would seriously introduce risks. And so I think that in a lot of parishes in, in the U.S., they stopped distributing communion like that. And it, it, it in in my country... For many years, there was the practice of also allowing people to communion to take communion uh, under both species. But then, huh? And this was actually an abuse that was that was uh, is now eradicated in most parishes. People would receive the host from the priest or the deacon or um, uh, an extraordinary minister, and then they would there would be someone with a chalice. And people would dip the host into the consecrated wine, into the blood of Christ, and then they would consume it. And that was specifically forbidden because communion is all about receiving, not about taking. And the moment you you uh, do the intinction, as it's called technically, into the wine, and you and you then consume the the host that is partially. Uh, drenched with the the blood of Christ, um, it's like almost like self service. It 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 it's. I mean, I'm sure that Jesus can handle it, but it, it's it's a ritual that expresses the wrong disposition. It's it's about you receiving, and so the only official, formal, formally uh, allowed method, if you want to distribute communion under both species, is that the priest takes the host and uh, dips it into the consecrated wine and then distributes it, not on the hand, obviously, but on the tongue. That's the only way in which you can do that. And uh, 
Um, but but of course, then also that would require everyone to receive communion on the tongue, whereas it is allowed to also receive communion on the hand. And so in order to make it simpler, so for pragmatic reasons, um, the bishops in many countries have said, uh, we only distribute communion uh, in the form of the consecrated host. Um, it was difficult for a lot of parishioners who were used to the method of, you know, just dipping it themselves into the chalice. Uh, and they felt that they were being robbed of uh, of that communion. And, and of course, it's understandable because it is a, a beautiful, mm, it's 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 symbolically how do you say that ritually it's more closer to what the last supper uh uh what jesus did at the last supper you know he said drink from this chalice um he didn't say just 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 you guys not not all the other people so jesus didn't put any boundaries around the communion as such but um I think it's important to to uh, explain people that it is absolutely not robbing you from extra Jesus, <laughs> but it, it's it's done out of reverence because it's very difficult to distribute the communion in with the consecrated wine if you have large number of people, um, and and especially like in times of COVID, it could indeed carry some risks of contaminating people uh, because you can of course clean the side of the chalice but well especially with some of these um, variants of COVID it can still you still put people at risk and the, the last thing you want is that people accidentally get um, infected uh, when they are walking forward to receive Christ himself you know he's supposed to be a medic a healer <laughs> someone who makes you strong and the the communion you know uh, should never be an occasion for you to incur whatever disease and and that is why churches have gone overboard during covid times to make sure that everybody can receive communion safely um it's it's also a way to honor christ as the healer of souls and the one who wants to protect us. Um, I think you, we, we try to honor Christ by making sure that, the, that the, we minimize the risks as much as possible for people to get sick during Mass. Hope that helps. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I've been reading um, a couple of books. Actually, I'm in the process of reading my second book of the week, and I already finished the first one. The first one was a book that uh, I heard many good things about. I was looking forward to reading it because it is based on the stories of The Witcher. Uh, the Witcher, now very famous because of the uh, series on Netflix uh, where The Witcher himself is played by uh, Henry Cavill, who used to be Superman. <laughs> and uh, that is a really, really good series. And it that series was uh, inspired uh, also by the popularity of the vid a video game, or actually a bunch of video games that were made by um, uh, a... Um, um, what is it? Um, I'm trying to... 
I'm trying to find the window. Okay, I, I lost my 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 um, <laughs> my show window. Um, so what was I saying? Uh, so the video games um, were made by a Polish uh, company because the the author of The Witcher is uh, from Poland, and those video games were very popular. So that's that that uh, gave way to the television series, and now a lot of the books are being rediscovered by the people. The books, of course, are the original story. Um, so I read, I read the first book in the series called The Last Wish. And what I didn't know when I started reading it was that it was actually a compilation of short stories. Uh, and that it wasn't really the overall, the overarching mythology of The Witcher. That actually begins with the story about the blood of the elves. But anyway, the reason that I wanted to read the stories was that um, my uh, storytell uh, publisher... Um, alerted me that uh, they would lose the contract uh, for those audiobooks. Uh, and so I was like, oh, maybe I can still read all those books. If I start reading now, um, I'll, I'll be able to get to work my way through, you know, six of these audiobooks. So I started listening to the Dutch audiobook version of The Last Wish. And it wasn't really what I expected. Um, and this is partially because of the fragmented nature of these stories um i i I miss a good story thread i i want to just dive into this world and every time in the book when there's a new short story you kind of reboot and you're like okay so what's going on now and who are these people and what's going on i mean it's okay if you know the bigger story and thankfully thanks to the television show and the games i do know a little bit more about the overall mythology of the of the witcher um, and, and for those of you that are not familiar with it, The Witcher is, uh, it's a bit like a wizard, but different. Um, and so these are people that have been, I think, even genetically modified to combat monsters and uh, to help people def- and, and to defend them against, uh, you know, whatever evil is lurking around the corner. And these are mostly like mythological beings um, as well as corrupted humans. And so... Um, the story actually what surprised me was that the the stories are more moral than the television series and the video games the video games can be very raunchy at times uh and violent and the 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 television show was a mixed bag there were some really objectionable scenes um and i don't say that the stories don't have that but it's a little bit more nuanced and you could tell that you know there's actually like a the stories are also meant to make you think about the choices that the Witcher takes and other people. So it's it's also, I mean, the the author of the story is a is a is a practicing Catholic, which is very weird because nothing in the games and in the in the television series would let you believe that that there is a, that this is written by a guy who goes to church every Sunday. But uh, that's that's what it is. Um, and I f- I saw a little bit more traces of that christian background in the in the actual written books than i found in the video games and in the television series but still there's still a lot happening in the books where you're like uh okay (laughs) not for kids but um the what 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 turned me off the most what was the hardest aspect of this experience was that i was listening to the dutch audiobook and it's written by a guy who's you know perfectly fine when it comes to reading a book it's so boring it's so flat it's so 
it just misses the excitement that you want to hear in the voice of someone who's actually really enjoying telling that story. It's so matter-of-factly, and it doesn't match the vibe of the story itself. And um, it, it, again, uh, confronted me with the reality that it, it, even though the text is exactly the same, the, the person who's telling the story, that makes a huge difference. It's like, I think it's the same with homilies. You can have priests who will say exactly the same thing as the other priest. They will talk about the same gospel. They will have the same theology and the, basically the same moral message, maybe. And yet one priest can tell a story and you're like, oh my gosh, this is awesome and this is so inspiring. And then the other priest is like, oh my gosh, where was I for the past 10 minutes? I, like I totally zoned out. And it's oftentimes has to do with the way in which people use their voice. It's their diction. It's also sometimes the use of... Uh, of doing voices. I love it when audiobook readers will impersonate the, the people that they uh, uh, represent. Like, the, they will do the voices and the accents. And then some of them are really good at that. Perfect example is Andy Serkis, uh, who, who, of course, voiced Gollum in uh, Lord of the Rings and in... Was he in The Hobbit? Anyway. So, um, yeah, he was in The Hobbit as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, of course he was in The Hobbit because duh, that's how Bilbo got the ring. Anyway, uh, he reads, he does an audiobook uh, reading of of The Lord of the Rings and of The Hobbit, and it's so good. He does all the accents, and it's so spot on. It's almost as if he impersonates all the other actors that we know from the movies, and it it makes a huge difference because there are t a ton of versions of um, of the books. Um, same thing with Harry Potter. The English version of Harry Potter is read by Stephen Fry. And it's a joy to listen to. He's so good at reading. Such a fantastic storyteller. But it's the same book. There's an American version, which is perfectly fine. But I think that Stephen Fry takes it to a whole different level. Um, so with The Witcher... I, I kind of abandoned the project of of going of working my way through all these Dutch audiobooks because it's just not fun to just listen to a guy who's just reading it because well that's his job but it just misses the spark that it that, that these, these stories need so now I need to figure out if I can get a hand, uh, get a hold of the of the uh, English versions um, and and another thing that hampered the experience was that the translation was very literal, very, I don't know, a bit archaic. And it, it just, yeah, it, it, it lacked, it felt a bit old-fashioned. So, and that makes it even harder to read it well. So, um, anyway, I don't know how the English translation is uh, or the English audiobooks. If you already have experience with that, let me know. As I'd, uh, I, I want to know if it's worth my time. Um, the second book, that I started reading is actually from a very, one of my favorite science fiction writers, um, Blake Crouch. Now, I'm reading, I'm currently in a, uh, beginning to read the book Upgrade, which is about uh, the near future, where a lot of the cr 
criminals are focusing on genetic modifications that are illegal because it's very dangerous, of course, to mess around with the human genomes. And so um, it's, it's a very good story. I'm like, in the first chapter, I was immediately in the story and I can't wait to see what happens next. It's a, it's a page turner. And not every book that I read is a page turner. So I'm really intrigued by this book. Now, I, I was like, okay, Blake, Blake Crouch, where, what else have I read from him? I had to Google it. And it turns out that he's the author of the, um, uh, the Pines trilogy. The uh, Let me look that up. The Wayward Pines trilogy. If you are a longtime listener to this show, uh, you may have heard me rave about that trilogy. It's a story of um, someone who who wakes up in a in a village, and it's it's a bit like the Truman Show. He feels that there's something wrong. Everybody, he doesn't remember anything of his past life, and he feels that there there is more to this village and the people that surround him. And and, and he's like, are they just? faking it is is this a real village and what's going on and in in fact turns out his intuition is right there is something going on that is like he's being manipulated and there's a whole backstory he discovers the, like the truth behind what's going on in that village and it's so riveting oh my gosh i i read those books multiple times there's also a television show that is extremely well done and i i can't believe that this is not more popular because it's such a cool story anyway so the wayward pines once i I knew that blake crouch wrote the wayward pines trilogy i knew that i was going to be in for a ride so that's what i'm reading right now i need to read another book also before the end of the week to stay on target um maybe maybe I'll, i'll try to find an english version of the next witcher book i stopped reading the blood of the elves because i just couldn't bear with the boring reading tone so maybe i'll pick it up again and uh, but switch to another language i do i I did see that there was also a german audiobook but i don't know if that's any better than the dutch one also wir werden mal sehen ja Lucas in the chat room says, hey, you need to switch your end jingle back to the cool swing music instead of this piano stuff. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still, the vote is still out there, but um, thanks for your input. Well, this music was hopefully cheerful enough. It's the kitchen music. And uh, last Wednesday, I did my second live stream from my kitchen. And life, I have varied experiences with the live streams sometimes it's very relaxing and other times it's super strenuous this one the so i'm currently recording the break and i'm also live streaming this hence my reference to the people in the chat this is a bit a bit of a mixed bag i i'm moderately relaxed but i still have to do a show so i have to be alert i have to keep talking and um it's so it I would rate this like a two or three out of ten in terms of the energy that ten is running a marathon, right? So I'm currently kind of logging how much various activities um, cost me in terms of energy. 
So it's not, I'm not fully relaxed right now because I'm doing a show. So I'm, I'm, it's also a bit of a performance. Um, and while I'm doing the show, that's fine. I have the adrenaline. But after I'm done with the show, I can feel it. I'm like, oh, I'm tired. <laughs> Let's go watch Star Trek. Um, but I noticed yesterday when I was doing the live stream from the kitchen that that was actually a totally 100% enjoyable experience. I like to cook, and I really don't mind it if people watch me cook. In fact, I like it. I like to, to share with you what I'm cooking. And I think it's mutual. I think most people in the chat also enjoy the time together. Um, I even got a request from someone who said, can you post the recipes beforehand so we can cook along? I was like, no, if I start doing that, then it becomes a job. <laughs> it becomes work again. So, no, just... Just follow what I do and replicate it in your own kitchen. So yesterday we did two things. I made pumpkin soup, but I did it, I followed a different recipe. In the past, I, I made pumpkin soup before, and then I always mixed the pumpkin with with carrots. And um, and this time, uh, I I made pumpkin soup with pumpkin, and it was a oh, what was the name of that pumpkin? It wasn't the, the traditional orange one from the fairy tales and from Halloween, but it was a, golly, help me out in the chat room. It had a very strange name in English. Uh, okay, well, I'm sure people will help me out in a minute. But uh, in, in addition to the pumpkin, I also mixed in an apple, Oh, Michiel says it's a butternut squash. Seriously, butternut squash. Who comes up with these names? Like, that has nothing to do with pumpkins. Butternut squash makes me, like, what are my immediate, like, associations with the word butternut? I'm thinking of a squirrel with the nuts. And then butter, I'm thinking of, like, maybe peanut butter. And then squash, I'm thinking either of some kind of tennis game or an exploding pumpkin. Butternut squash. I have no... I mean, the people that come up with these names are super creative, but sometimes it just eludes me. This is why I can never remember words like that. It's like so out of left field. Like, seriously? <laughs> it's just a pumpkin. Anyway, so I mixed in an apple, a big apple, and also an entire orange and that was so good because it gives it a little bit of a, uh, adds a tiny bit of a sour taste. Well, not a sour. Um, How would you say that? A citrus taste. And also it adds a lot of sugar, a lot of sweetness to the soup. And that works really well with the pumpkin. The other ingredient that I put in was, of course, stock, vegetable stock, and a bit of cumin powder. Not too much. And that was all. And it's so delicious. Oh, my gosh. Margot says, uh, butternut squash and pumpkin are types of winter squash. So squash, squash is the, is the pumpkin? Why is it called squash? Like to squash something is to destroy something, right? I'm thinking explosions and, 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 and orange goo everywhere. That's what the word squash means to me. But anyway, why don't you just call it pumpkin? Like we call everything pumpkin. <laughs> In English, the pumpkin only refers to the Cinderella and Halloween stuff. That's interesting. But, but do you make pumpkin soup with the orange pumpkins? 
What, what do you call butternut squash soup? Do you call it butternut squash soup? That is so... It's like too much. And on the inside, it's the same color. It's super orange on the inside, the butternut squash. I keep repeating that word. Hopefully, it will stick over time. Uh, the English word squash comes from ascuta squash, which means a green thing eaten raw. That makes even less sense because it's not green. It's super, super orange. Anyway, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I love the soup. I, I have an, a pan full of soup, so I can still enjoy that soup for days to come. The second day, the second thing I made was a bit made up on the spot. I did have some sausages left, and so I made a pasta with uh, salsiccia. It sounds very fancy in, in Italian, but it just means uh, pasta with... Uh, with worst, <laughs> with sausage. I just cut up the sausage, sausages and, um, and made a simple tomato-based sauce. And it was, it was really good. It wasn't the best pasta, but, um, but it, it worked. I still have a, a, a meal left. So I got my money's worth. Um, so that was what I cooked today. If you want to check out what I'm cooking next week, join me every Wednesday on YouTube. Um, and this time I think I also posted it on Facebook and on Twitch. Um, it, it varies from day to day. Sometimes I'll only um, stream on my YouTube channel. But, uh, but just follow me on YouTube. That's, that's the place where I always stream. Um, and, and join me uh, next week for, um, for some cooking. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you've plugged in a new device, and it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. Let's talk about technology at the end of this show, and just briefly... As an aside, I want to thank Skedge77 for a donation on, on YouTube. Sketch says, I enjoy your content ever since I discovered you after The Force Awakens reaction. Viewing films, secular or not, through the lens of God still reveals his glory. Thank you for your ministry. Well, thank you so much for, for that feedback. I really appreciate it. I also appreciate your support. Um, so let's talk about technology. Last week, I... Um, I had a bit of a, a request, so I talked about the iPhone, right, and um, that I was considering switching back for from from Android. I currently have an Android-based phone back to the um, iOS environment because of the just the sheer quality of the and not just the cameras on the iPhone, but also the computational photography that Apple does or the older. Calculations. I mean, I, I was blown away uh, by what um, um, Rob was able to film while we were in Disneyland. So we were visiting the Star Wars part of Disneyland last year, and I was filming with a with my Canon camera, and then he fil- He just filmed with his phone, and afterwards he sent me the footage, and it was just so much better than what I filmed with my expensive Canon camera, and that kind of was okay. Maybe it's time to go back to the iPhone because there, my current phone can absolutely not film like that, especially because it was already evening. It was very dark, um, and and just my my current phone can't handle that. But I also explained last week that I was trying to 
skip one more generation and wait for the revamp of the iPhone. I know there's always going to be a better iPhone, but the the change that Apple probably will make uh, in September of this year is a pretty substantial one. They will switch. It's going to have a new form factor because every three years they change the shape, the kind of the, the type of phone. Um, and they have to change from their uh, fire, what is it, um, lightning switch, the lightning connector, to USB-C, because in Europe, uh, European legislation wants all manufacturers of these devices to all switch to USB-C so you don't get all that e-waste, um, which is a, a good thing. Apple has resisted that as much as possible, but now they probably will have to. And they already did on, on the iPad and on <laughs> on my uh, MacBook, on my MacBook Air. It's all USB-C, my iPad, USB-C, only the iPhone is still lightning. So uh, I'm, I'm waiting until they switch to USB-C also because of the transfer speeds. Um, and so I, I was, but um, I told you about the, the Apple Watch. Uh, the, I couldn't sync the Apple Watch with my old iPhone 6. And so I was like, okay, maybe I should send the Apple Watch back, but I kind of really want to try it out. And so I... I um, I suggested, well, maybe some, maybe some, uh, some of you ha- still have an old iPhone that is slightly newer than my iPhone six. It can still be an old model as long as it's like uh, I think an iPhone eight or 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 newer. That uh, if I can, even if I can borrow it for just a couple of months, it can it can help me switch back to the iOS system because that is going to take some time. I've been on Android for five years. All my services are on the Android. So it will take time for me to make the switch back to iOS and to reintegrate. And it would be much easier for me to have a bit of a like a an intermediate phone first so I can make that switch slowly. And then once the iPhone 15 comes out, then I'll be probably up and running in the iOS. And, and, and thankfully, there was a listener who says, hey, I actually have a, an iPhone 10 still lying around. I don't do anything with it right now. Would you want to have it? So he's going to send me that uh, on uh, after the weekend, which is absolutely fantastic. And I'll be able to sync it to the, the watch, uh, to the Apple Watch. And then uh, I will take my time the next couple of months to gradually move over, move back to the well, depending on your perspective, to the dark side or to the light side. <laughs> My main reason, actually, to go back to iOS is not just because of the cameras, because a lot of the Android phones also have fantastic cameras, but it's because of the the just the 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 amount of people that work with iPhones. A lot of the developers um, uh, always will make sure that their apps work with the iPhone. And the iPhone, of course, is is one company, is one set of hardware. It's easier to develop something consistent uh, and to use all the, the capabilities of an iPhone. Um, it's much easier for developers than to do that with Android, where there are thousands of different brands. And one of the issues that I have with my current phone, which is still very powerful, it's an Asus phone, the Zen phone, is it's not supported. It, it only supports the main camera, for instance. If I want to stream, if I want to record anything on TikTok, 
it refuses to use any of the other cameras. Plus, it will completely um, ignore the computational stuff that is happening. So I get the raw image. When I, want, when I record something in TikTok, it, the image looks awful because it's just the, the, the sensor information that it uses, and it cannot integrate the stuff that Asus normally adds to video recordings. And so I was, I was always forced to record it with the Asus software. The, the, only that app records it in a reasonable quality. But then uh, as soon as I would want to use any other type of software, the image is horrible. You don't have that with Apple. Um, and I've seen people just streaming and use, zooming in and using the wide angle. And I was like, oh, that's, that's one of the advantages of Apple is that it's so universal that all these apps tap into their in, into the software of Apple and, and it makes it makes for a much much more powerful combination. So anyway, I'm so glad that I can um, I can start to explore uh, iOS again. Although I I'm, I'm very happy with my uh, with my iPad. So I never stepped away completely from from Apple. I'm currently using uh, a MacBook Air as my main computer. Um, but when it comes to my phone, my phone, which is kind of the thing that I always use when I'm producing content, I'm still in an Android universe. It's going to be interesting. Speaking of Apple, uh, haven't yet ordered the new I, um, Apple Mini, uh, but I, I watched a few more reviews. Turns out that the um, the base model is already pretty powerful, but limited by the eight gigabytes. So I think I will go for the, the the pro version which is a bit more expensive has more ports and uh, and also the hard drive is a lot faster so they they kind of cut corners with the speed of the ssd now normal users will not notice that at all in fact i'm so happy with the macbook air it's so fast compared to the pc that i was using beforehand but again since this is an investment for the long term and a probably will have to work with the, uh, the Mac Mini for about four or five years. I'd rather go a little bit more to the next the next level um, uh, for as an editing machine. And then it will be, I think, a perfect combination if I can use the, the MacBook for all the mobile things and the streams and, and then upstairs, I will just have my, my Mac Mini just sitting there hooked up to a, a big screen monitor and I whenever I have time to do some editing I don't have to put in cables and reconfigure uh, like I have to do now but it's just there always ready to uh, to go um what else when I did I uh, there was one more thing I wanted to talk about when it comes to technology but it just eludes me right now uh what it was <laughs> Maybe it's time to... Uh, oh, yes, I, I remember now. It was uh, the PlayStation. So, uh, you know, I'm a gamer, and I love gaming on the... Um, actually, on all my devices. But there is just one platform that I was a fan of in the past, and I haven't played on it for a long time, and that's the PlayStation. I sold my old PlayStation 4 to my nephews and my niece, and now I am... Uh, I'm, I'm devoid of, of PlayStation. And the problem was the PlayStation 5 is a fantastic machine, but it's it's very hard to get. Now, it turns out that um, Sony is now finally working on a solution. 
Um, and it, it seems also that this, the chips shortage that has plagued the industry for three years now is finally over. There are new factories that are churning out the chips. And so Sony is going to bring us a new version of the PlayStation 5, maybe also a new form factor. I, I personally hope so, because I think that the current thing is just ridiculously big. And um, yeah, looks cool, but I I want my gaming computers to be small and unobtrusive, like like the Xbox. I really like what Microsoft has done with the Xbox, making it super small, easy to put away. Um, because I want to, I don't want to focus on the on the thing on the machine. I want to focus on 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 the, the games. So. Uh, Apparently, Sony is going to do another version of the PlayStation Five, and it won't. It will have the ability to read discs, but you ha will have to buy a separate disc drive. And I think that's probably a smart thing to do. They currently sell two types of PlayStation Fives: one with a disc drive and another one without it. But I also use, of course, these machines to play my Blu-rays and. Um, I kind of like the fact that with a physical disc, I can always get a get a secondhand game or 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 sell it, uh, which you can't do with digital versions of games. So, I'm actually very happy if they're going to do just one type for, for them. Of course, it will uh, save them a lot of production pro issues if they just have one PlayStation Five and then just uh, hook it up to a, a, a disc drive, just like in the olden days when we had to hook up a CD-ROM player to our what was it, Xbox original or something like that? I don't mind. Uh, all right, so that's all I wanted to share with you today. Now, do I have that jingle, that upbeat jingle? I don't think I have. I can take a look. So I've got the slow piano one. Uh, maybe. No, that's a jazz piano. That's the same one. I think I need to re-upload it to my... Um, to my uh, uh, roadcaster. What is this one? Yeah, that's the piano one. Okay, you're out of luck. Next month, uh, yeah, next week, which is also going to be next month, <laughs> I'll be, uh, I'll be playing the the upbeat one. And this one doesn't have any sound. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we'll go one more time for the piano, and then uh, because of all your requests, I'll switch back to the the what is it the the swing version. Just breathe in and breathe out. Why are you so opposed to this calming piano music? Is it because on the inside you're still running in your life? Well, sometimes it's good to slow down. Nah, I'm just messing with you. All right, <laughs> one more thought of the, of the week. And that is um, the final one of the, of the four Japanese wisdom, bits of wisdom that I found on, on, on Instagram. And this principle is called Kaizen. Seek to improve in all areas of your life. Even small changes over time can make a big impact. I'm all for that. I'm all for that. It's, uh, don't try to change everything at once. By the way, did you see that everything everywhere all at once? was nominated for a ton of Oscars. I'm so happy. That's an amazing movie. But, no, I think actually one of the messages of the movie is that the little things, the small things, have great, great value. So 
Even if you can't change everything in your life, focus on the little things that you can change as you go, and it will start add up over time. So good luck with that, and we'll talk soon. Take care, and God bless.